You're listening to the Simple Growth Podcast, the show that helps business owners get their life back. Here's your host, Mike Callahan. It's Jonathan. Mike Callahan here. So Mike's a friend of mine. I've known him now for, and I think since 2011. And uh, we're at the Service Autopilot office here in Dallas, working on a bunch of different projects this week. And so if you don't know who I am, I'm Jonathan. I own a lawn care company in Dallas. I think we have like 8,500 clients, a full maintenance company. We're just maintenance, not landscape. I'm Service Autopilot. You've probably seen me on Lawn Care Millionaire. And Mike, um, Upstate New York, I've uh, been in the lawn care and snow removal business for 23 years now. And... Um, started a secondary business called Simple Growth, where I'm just trying to help uh, people learn from the mistakes and issues I've had over the last 23 years, um, help people take their life back from the business. Um, originally, I'd built a business that revolved around me as the only person to uh, allow the business to survive. And um, After a rough time in my life, I looked at uh, the process and systems that weren't there, and some help with Service Autopilot and Jonathan, um, we were able to revolutionize the business we had, and now be able to spend a week to a month at a time away from my lawn care business and snow removal and uh, do things I enjoy in my life and enjoy time with my kids. So um, looking to answer some questions, um, how we did this, how Jonathan did it in his business. Um, one of the larger residential uh, lawn care businesses probably in the whole United States. So uh, we're here to answer any of your questions. We did have a couple questions that were submitted yep. uh, that we're happy to answer as well as promised. Yeah, so I put a video up on uh, just two days ago on Lawn Care Millionaire, and I've got a bunch of initial questions here. I promised we'd answer at least three of those questions before we got going. So if you would, please put in your questions now. Go ahead and ask us questions here on Facebook, and we're going to answer questions live for a while, and um, we'll, we'll go while the questions are coming. So let's start with, uh, I'm going to read them to you, so printed out some of the questions from the Facebook thread. So uh, first question we've got is, Okay, so say you're a sole lawn care guy, and one day you get hurt, you can no longer mow yards, but you don't want to lose your business. Uh, what should be the steps you would need to take so you can save your business? So I get some thoughts. Do you want to go first? Um, yeah, I guess my, my thing would be, um, A, nothing wrong with being a sole entrepreneur. Uh, we've all been there. I actually enjoyed the time I was running my business by myself. Um, but I think the key thing is to document the systems and processes within your business, even if you're a one-man show or you're a 100-person show. Uh, heaven forbid, like you said, if you do get hurt or if down the line you go to sell your business, you really want a turnkey operation. So I would go out and document um, everything you do, whether it be in the field, how to stick edge, how to mow, um, just for the off-case scenario that you've mentioned. Um, we need that documented so we can hand it off to someone. Or maybe if you want to leave for vacation once or twice a week during the summer, that probably is not an option right now if you're the only person running that business. So um, if not anything else, just to build some freedom into the business to be able to hand that off. Document the process and procedures, and um, whether you're using pen and paper for your billing and scheduling, or you're using an uh, automated system or a CRM, scheduling, whatever that may be, document the process and procedure in there. I'd suggest a screenshot video through a program called Jing. Yep. Uh, a couple bucks a, a month if you snag it. But create, create a process and system that you can hand off and sell, or hand off to someone else to take over, you know, have forbid you do follow up. Yeah. I'd also add to that that a lot of times if you fall ill and you haven't already figured out how you're going to solve this problem or you don't already have somebody working with you, which obviously you don't based on the question, you're screwed. It's usually too late at that point. The idea that you get hurt, you get ill, and in whatever, like let's say it's serious, you might be out of commission where you're not even thinking straight for a couple of days or you're just feeling so horrible, you can't even solve the problem. And you could go two, three, four days before you 
uh, take care of your clients before you even feel good enough to go find a person. And then when you want to go find a person, how are you going to get out and go see them? And you know, meaning if you're going to go recruit somewhere, you're, it's going to be very hard to do it over the phone. Maybe you, you know, a fallback option might be you call up some other company and say, hey, can I contract my workout to you? But that's not necessarily easy because it's got to fit into their schedule. So I think one takeaway is that this can't be a, oh, crap, my, uh, I'm screwed, I'm hurt, I'm going to solve the problem now. You've already had to have figured this out in advance. And one of my big arguments on a lot of my, on the Long Term Millionaire videos, and I, I've seen comments below where people like disagree, and my point is you need to grow a bigger company. This idea that having a small company is easier is false. Having a small company is harder. As it's Yeah, it's hard to grow a bigger company, but once the company gets bigger, the bigger company, while it can still be very challenging, is in a way easier, and it'll give you a, a peace of mind in that if you ever do get hurt or something bad happens, you've got something to fall back on in all the years of work aren't for nothing when the thing goes away on you. So I'd really encourage you not to keep a one-man business. I'd encourage you to build it to at least a couple crews, and really, I'd go bigger than that if you want to build something that um, will give you time to take vacations and all that other stuff. Yeah, I'm completely agree. Business actually gets easier the bigger you get. I think a lot of times when I talk to different business owners, like myself, um, we have the perceived notion that hiring employees is a bad thing. It's tough. Um, if you have the right approach to it and you continually go out and recruit the best employees and build a culture that people can buy and align with, um, you almost have many business owners if you've done right within your business. Um, and I guess to um, this question too, if, if, even if you are the one-man show or you're the multiple-person show, uh, if you don't do it, if, if you don't do anything after this video, go out and look for disability insurance and life insurance. So if you have a family and things like that, at least cover the debt and the nut you got hanging out there. Something did happen unexpected. Because a lot of people I talk to will fall ill, get injured on the job as a one-man show. They don't have that insurance to, to cover their SOL at that point. The way I got into this business was um, on a total whim. I never thought I'd be in the lawn care business. And back in 04, 05, I uh, bought a guy's business. He was doing $50,000 a year of gross revenue. He was a 50-year-old guy uh, mowing lawns on a Cushman riding lawnmower tractor. He was just mowing warehouse properties, and I bought his $50,000 business for 7000 bucks on a, just a whim at lunch and, and had a different company at the time. And he was getting out of the business because he was sick. He just couldn't. And it was his only source of income, and his wife didn't work. That's a crappy situation to be in. Yeah, and that's, that's scary. Yeah. Second question, uh, how do you go about adding a second residential mowing crew? We have a two-man mowing crew and do 100 lawns per week. Should we sub out new incoming work until we have enough that we can keep another crew busy? Or should we just do it in-house and hire a part-time position to mow and allow us to upsell bed maintenance and pruning service? So I think we'll probably agree on this one. Split the crew? Yeah, I would split the crew to, to two one-man crews, allow you to uh, get to the point of capacity and overbooked a little bit. And at that point, we split it back into two two-man Yep, exactly. So the way to think about um, building and scaling your crews is you, you've got a foreman, and then let's imagine you have one crew. You've got a foreman, you want to have a, a laborer on that crew or a worker on that crew uh, with the guy, and that's your most cost-effective route. You've got your more expensive foreman, foreman, you've got a less expensive laborer. The dilemma is that's not a scalable model. The, the preferred approach would be, in my, rec my belief, is you have your foreman and you have like a lead man kind of guy, which is the second command, but this is a guy that can drive. And so, yes, he's going to cost you more per hour. He's going to cost you several dollars more per hour on that crew. But now you've already got the guy in training that's learning the routes that as soon as you're ready to start the second, third, fourth truck, 
he just moves over. What a lot of people do is they have a foreman and a laborer. And then when they're like, okay, I want to start a new crew, they got to go find a driver, then they got to train him, then they got to make sure he can do the work, then they, they got to test him. Like, what if he's going to quit after a couple of weeks? So spend a little bit more money or a little less profitable and always have at least one driver on a truck. You can call this person a lead man that's always ready to split off. And when they split off, you get another driver ready person on one of those crews. And that way you can keep scaling the thing. So many guys have great plans at the, going into spring, like, hey, we're going to do all this growing. And then they bump into some bottleneck and everything falls apart. One of the example bottlenecks is, okay, I'm ready for a new crew. I can't find a driver. Oh, it's getting a little late in the season. We'll just add a truck next year. And you do this every year after year, and you just grow slow. You've got to get all those bottlenecks out of the way so that you can go fast. And one of the ways you get the bottleneck out of the way is you always have an extra driver that's getting overpaid in a sense to just be a worker on a crew. Yeah, and we just account for that overpaying in our budget. Um, a lot of people will actually probably make a three-man crew, and I think that's the biggest mistake you think is that dead idle drive time. You're incurring that overhead for this person to be sitting in the truck, um, and it doesn't seem like a big deal, yeah. but the hours and hours add up, and that could probably three to maybe five thousand dollars of unbillable overhead um, that's going to kill your revenue, which is going to be a, a fraction of. A fraction of that would be what you're actually paying the guy a little bit extra per hour worth productive billable time. So I would suggest stay away from the three-man crew unless you're sitting at one property the whole entire day yeah. and stick to that two-man crew at, at most and then a one-man split them. Um, and at the end of the question also asked about uh, bed maintenance and pruning and mulching a maintenance crew. Um, I don't know what your opinion on Jonathan, but my, my opinion has been is if we're paying several thousand dollars depending on if it's a push mower or a 60-inch Z or stand-on, it doesn't make sense, in my opinion, to have a, a mowing crew do maintenance functionality. I think we really need to split mm -hmm. those up because our overhead and our cost to operate these two equipment um, is different, and it's usually more expensive to operate a mowing crew. So I don't want sixty dollars to $100,000 worth of equipment sitting idle and not being able to build out. Plus, there's two different skill sets. So if your core competency is pruning and mulching and weeding, do that and make that a core competency. Don't it's good to cross-train, but I don't think having one crew doing two or three different things um, delivers a good quality service each and every time it's predictable. No, I totally agree. You're underutilizing the assets, just as you said, sitting on the truck. But in the very early days of our business, we tested this and, uh, and also learned from other companies as well that had done this type of testing. And not only are you underutilizing your asset, if you want to operate at a really high level of quality, then that means you have to do a lot of training. A lot of our competitors don't do any training. And that's a huge competitive advantage for all of us. So if you're if you're in the training business, and you're gonna teach your guys how to be great at mowing, you're gonna teach your guys to understand the plants and be great at pruning, and you're gonna teach your guys how to do all the different services that you provide, it's really hard to train one guy in all, or one crew in all those areas and think that they're really gonna be great at all those things. It's way easier to make your mowing guys experts at mowing, your pruning guys experts at pruning, your side guys experts at prod, uh, uh, saw. That's so much easier. And so that's another advantage of breaking this out. It's a more scalable long-term business. So I would absolutely, oh, and then there's uh, something else that we found, which is flow. So if you think about the idea that, maybe think about how you work in your life. If, you, um, if you're working on a project or you're writing something in, you've got to jump and you've got to hop on a phone call and then you've got to, Go down, go down the hall in your office and do some other thing, and you're constantly changing. There's a switching cost. You're constantly changing between activities that you never really get in the flow, and you're less productive. Whereas if one day you came in and all you worked on all day was writing some marketing or 
or maintaining your equipment, you didn't have to switch between activities, you'd be far more productive. Exact same thing is true with your, your crew. If they mow two homes and then they have to stop and prune and then they have to go get some sod and lay the sod, then they mow a little bit more, it's incredibly unproductive. But if you can have them mowing crews mow all day, pruning crews prune all day, it's way more efficient and you make a lot more money. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Cool. All right, uh, next one. What do what to do with employees in the winter? Boy, this is a common question. Yeah, this one looks like we may actually have a comment here <laughs> okay, uh, good. regarding the off-season winter as well. Oh, we do, we okay. Spin those together. All right, so we'll read this one and then that one. So if you have any other questions, please type them in, send them to us. So what, do you, what to do with employees in the winter? We have about 13 weeks off in Michigan. Other than snow plowing, what can be done to retain employees who can't afford to be without winter work? And then you read that one. Uh, is it this one? Yep. All right. So, how do you deal with an employee with employee turnover in the off season? I've heard of companies keeping employees on during the winter, but if you don't do snow removal, what do you suggest? Okay. Yeah, we can we can tie this together. So, um, what you're up north? What are you guys doing? Uh, we're doing snow removal right now. Um, given our model, it, it didn't make sense to, to lay the guys off in the winter. Um, some of the ladies as well. So we, we opted to get into snow removal. Uh, one thing we've actually looked at, um, we're very successful in snow removal, but we've looked at maybe setting up a southern model. So if you're in the northeast and you're in a snow belt, uh, one thing that you're not doing kind of off the top is I would suggest getting out of your area, going to different parts of the country, see how different lawn care companies run their business and their equipment setup. Because um, I tell you, as soon as I left upstate New York, it was like the twilight zone. A lot of the southern companies are running F-150s or Ford Rangers with a dovetail. The trail is actually where the bed of the truck would be. So these trucks, uh, they can get a, a used vehicle and new equipment on the road for anywhere from eight to maybe $12,000, where a setup in the Northeast could be fifty to $60,000. So kind of a, a long-winded answer, but maybe the answer is offsetting your equipment costs. You don't need a four-wheel drive brand-new truck if you're doing snow, no snow removal. So you get a two-wheel drive used Southern truck, either rip the bed off or use a, a low-cost trailer, you drive down your operating costs, which allows you to be more profitable in 12 months. Or uh, the other thing I've seen that, that is pretty interesting is you transition into work that you can do inside. So a lot of people do uh, remodeling or organization of, garage, um, of people's garages or put up insulation and build out people's basements. And, and that's been a way of doing it. Uh, so I think if you're not going to be in the snow room, make sure your equipment uh, set up is appropriate. Don't go out. You don't need the newest, shiniest four-wheel drive truck that's a, an F-250 or a 2500. Um, take the pride out of the game. It's got to be clean. It should be lettered and professional. But we don't need the biggest, greatest four-wheel drive truck because it's going to drive your overhead. So you got to be very aware of what equipment you're using in the summer if you're not using it in the winter. So you can spread the cost um, for normally, which is 12 months in the south, over eight months in the north. Yeah, I'd agree. Uh, something else, and I feel like you uh, maybe we've talked about it before, or maybe you just touched on it. So I'm, I'm, let me set this up. So I'm really, where I'm going with this is, I think there's an opportunity to do, provide some, if you don't want to do snow, or you can't depend on snow, and so you want to provide some other service. And it's risky business, so yeah. we'll be honest about it. It's yeah. something not for everybody. The snow yes. business, yeah. I've heard all the horror stories. So <laughs> fortunately, we don't live in that world here in Texas. Um, point being that you can or you could look for opportunities where there is a, not don't think just lawn care, don't think just snow, but there's some other service offering that happens at the exact time of year that you tend to be slow, meaning your off season 
For example, in the South, a lot of companies do Christmas lights. And that's been very big in the North. Uh, yeah. We see the explosion, especially in my market, uh, people buying franchises that do it themselves. Um, so that's going to give you another month and a half to two months of revenue when you put it up and you take it down, which is kind of good, in my opinion, because now that you're making that connection, it allows you to upsell your ancillary services, your recurring revenue model for lawnmowing, fertilization, weed control. So they're actually growing their business by providing service that covers that dead spot as well. And sticking on Christmas lights here for a moment, I've talked to quite a few, I know so many people in the industry at this point, and talking to a number of guys that I believe are really successful in Christmas lights, a lot of people are not really successful. There's some guys that know what they're doing and, and have figured out how to make money at it. And my point here is that talking to that group, uh, one of the things that I've heard, which was surprising to me, is a lot of the individuals that sign up go out there and sell on uh, Christmas lights and then get a new client and then upsell them into mowing and all these other services. So point being that something like Christmas lights can also help expand your lawn care business because it's not always a lawn care client signing up for Christmas lights. I think a spin on that, it's something we want to try internally in our lawn care company, Snow Removal, is to be able to almost do a 12-month reoccurring contract. It's, it, it's different in the South where you know, we may go to a bi-weekly schedule, but we're showing up. It's an anticipated thing. We're going to be there each and every week um, unless you tell us to stop. Um, and it may tear back in, in, the, in the, the fall or the winter, but at a big disconnect in the Northeast, um, in the snow markets specifically, is we usually have to get them to re-sign up before we come back in April. So at scale where you got five or 600 lawn mowing customers, we're spending all this time getting a yes or no answer from everybody before we show back up on the property. Now, if we're, not, if we're doing snow removal or something like Christmas lights, maybe we bridge that gap and we have a reoccurring revenue model where we're just charging them once a month a set fee and we're recovering the cost and what we're billing for their package. But now we've eliminated the time and expense of reoccurring those contracts each and every time we get them signed up. Uh, and then if you have a reoccurring revenue model, which I think you're kind of looking at 12 months to cover that debt area, you've got cash flow all 12 months to cover those people's pay for the couple weeks here and there they're not paying to take Christmas lights down. That could be their KTO over the holiday too. So if you're doing paid time off, hey, by the way, we're going to give you X amount, but part of it has to be in this dead time between Christmas lights. So let's rewind for a moment. So the reason I got off on Christmas lights is what you're thinking about trying to answer this question for yourself is what types of services are happening at the time of year that I'm slow? And what most of us do, and I've got a word of caution here after I make this statement, but what most of us do is we think in terms of lawn care. We are, uh, and we self-identify as I'm a lawn care company, I'm a landscape company, I'm an irrigation company, and that's fine. However, to solve this problem, you may have to get more creative. Christmas lights don't feel like too far of a, a step away from lawn care, and so we can, like, we can do that. But are there other opportunities thinking in terms of any other outdoor service? Think you gave an example one time I talked to you about garage doors, or I heard that somewhere. Right. Like, uh, or, Organizing garage. We've got a gentleman we know uh, up in Alaska who, who actually lives in Alaska in the middle of the winter, installs decks. Yeah. Uh, the other weather permits it. So you've got to be creative. Who would think in Alaska in the middle of the winter you can install decks? Yep. That's a great, great add-on service to keep the crews busy. Yeah, so, and, that, and that's even a little bit of an outdoor system, but I've heard of, and maybe it came from you, people doing organizational systems in the garage. Yeah. So, I would, I would, where, I, what I wanted to, the point I want to make is, 
try not to say I'm a lawn care company and therefore I can only provide lawn care type services. There might be some really creative solution where it's not related to lawn care at all, but it solves this problem for you. Now, my word of caution on this is the fastest way to grow a profitable company is to be very focused. It's to focus on a few services and really nail that stuff so you're good at customer service, you're good at quality, you can scale it quickly, and it's easy to replicate the crews, it's easy to do the marketing. But there does come a point where to really get to the next level or in, our, in this question here to solve the winner problem, you do need to add another profit center, another line of business. And, and my point is, don't get stuck thinking that it has to be something in care. It could be something else. Because what, what I see is when you don't solve the winner problem, and you, so you'll, have all, you'll maybe have this phenomenal business. It's running fantastic. And it doesn't matter if you're under a contract or you're pay as you go. I mean, your client's paying you for the work performed. You have this really great business. It's going, going, going through the summer. You're making great, great profits. And then as soon as your productivity is down and you carry your people through the winter, you just give back all the profits. So there's a lot of companies out there that are making sub 10% take-home profit margins. And the reason they're doing it is not that they have an unhealthy business. It's that they didn't solve the winter problem. And so they're making great money in the, the actual season, great profit, and they're giving it all back in the winter because they're carrying their people. So to a prior question, you know, how do you solve, uh, I forgot how that was worded. I've heard of companies keeping employees on during the winter, but if you don't do snow re removal, what would you suggest? That, well, we just sort of answered that, but in, I think the, the point I wanted to make here is an, another way some companies solve this, as a mowing example, they let some of their employees fall off payroll, and the way they accomplish that is by using H2B visa. Now, and that's a perfect situation uh, as long as it sticks around. Yeah, but it's yeah. a very huge risk. We both have done it. Uh, I think you know, Jonathan now is a little more intimate right now with it. Uh, something in New York that was cost inhibitive, so we actually got a different thing. Uh, that's a great thing to look at if it's still available. Just be cautious. Still available, but just be cautious that it could go away at any time. Have a backup plan, just like the one-man mowing show. That hey, we better have a, a contingency plan in place, or we could be in trouble quick. Yeah. So the concept of H two B visa is a very sound concept. It's a good program. The problem is that it's um, it's government ran, and so you never know if they're going to change something about it, or if you're going to get your workers. There's there's real challenges and frustrations there. So it's not like this perfect solution, but it is absolutely a way to solve this problem for at least a, a piece of your business, meaning maybe for the mowing side of the business. All right, so let's see what else we've got. Question, so when do you design logo and letterhead to stand out? I'm assuming you're asking when in the business. Any opinions? Uh, I would say from day one or before day one. Uh, you want your branding, what you're going to stand for, and what you're culture and everything else, how you're going to fit into the marketplace, what niche uh, from day one, because that's really one of the find out may evolve um, what you do from zero dollars to seven hundred fifty thousand dollars will get you there, but what you do from seven fifty beyond may change. Um, so it, it, it's going to focus on whatever your core companies and services are. As far as branding, I would say. Yeah, so I would uh, I would separate logo from letterhead. Those are two different things in my right. mind. Yep. And in the very beginning. When you're starting the business, I agree with Mike. Uh, we need to figure out what our name is. I want to find a name that I can get a .com web address for. It's going to require a little thinking these days, requires a little work. I want to make sure that I, you know, if you really want to be proactive, I would make sure that I can get that name or something similar as my LLC or S Corp if I you know, set up my company correctly as an entity. 
um, it's getting a little more advanced right now, but I want to pick my name and then make sure it's available. I, I want to make sure I can get the .com on it. I want to make sure that I can register it as a legal entity. And I might want to do some Google searches around that name to make sure there's nothing crazy that comes up on the web where I don't want to be accidentally associated to this thing. Yeah, maybe even your Facebook, your Twitter handle, yeah. your Instagram, uh, everything's going digital as far as content. Yeah. So do some homework that maybe if those names are taken up, that, that's probably not going to be a great branding point. Yeah, I've also seen some, some uh, similar names uh, that, so like you can get, um, you can get your name, but there's another company that has a similar sounding name and that other company with a similar sounding name has bad reviews. Uh, that'd be a watch out to me. So I'm thinking about all that, and to go with that, I'm gonna go ahead and get my logo, I'm gonna do my logo. So I'm thinking about my name, and do my logo, it's gonna go on my website, it's gonna go on my marketing pieces. There's a lot of inexpensive ways to go out there and do a logo, I mean, there's better ways to do it, but the example is 99designs, it's fairly inexpensive. You can go get a logo done, you, you can look that up. Now letterhead, I wouldn't, I wouldn't personally get letterhead now. Um, I mean, shoot, I serve a software pilot, the so our software company, I've never got Letterhead. I don't even know what I do with Letterhead, actually. Um, I've used Letterhead at the lawn care company for some creative marketing, but I wouldn't get Letterhead. I'd just get the logo at first. I'd be more worried about my website domain and my, my uh, logo, and then I'd spend the money you're thinking about on Letterhead or business cards. I wouldn't worry about any of that stuff at first. I'd think about a door hanger or a, a glorified postcard that you can hand out as a as a glorified brochure. Yeah, that's about as far as I go. I wouldn't waste the money. I would spend it on your digital marketing, getting the truck lettered and wrapped, um, going out there yes. branding and marketing. The, the biggest thing we find a lot of small businesses when they're first starting out, um, either scared to market or don't know how to market. Uh, it doesn't have to be perfect. Don't get stuck in the trap of perfection. Go out and try it because you don't know what works until you try it. So spend that extra money, not on the letterhead, but going out and testing some marketing and start building a brand. Yes, so speaking of marketing, so I've got, you know, I printed out the questions from uh, below the YouTube video when I mentioned a couple days ago we do this. Uh, we do, I have a thing at Service Autopilot Academy. Uh, I, we have thousands, thousands of Service Autopilot members. The reason I say all that is I, have, I go to conferences and trade shows, I speak at different places, I go to all these things, and so I've talked to thousands of individuals in the industry and, and I, I can read these right here and see the exact example. I have 100 clients. I have 150 clients. I got nine clients, and I hope to have 50 by next year. I've got 100, and hopefully next year will be 130. That is unbelievably slow growth. And that I'm not knocking. I'm not criticizing. I don't, that's just really slow growth. What that means to me is that we are not solving the marketing problem. So I'll, I'll talk to somebody that's you know, doing 100 accounts, and they want to be at 150 next year or or they want to be at 200, but they really think realistically I'll only be at 50. I could go knock on doors for a month and have that many accounts. It, that's how I started my business. I bought the, the little $50,000 in, in uh, lawn care business I talked about earlier, and then I realized like, okay, this is, I, I can't, it's not growing, I'm stuck. I mean, this was a waste of time. And so I just started knocking on doors, which was miserable, I hated it, I was scared, all those kind of things, but it worked. And so my point here is that these examples are really slow growth and, and when I talk to individuals that are, are doing these numbers like oh well, I am marketing I'm doing marketing you're not doing marketing I mean, if you're if you're figuring out marketing and you're persistent and you're sticking with it your growth is going to be vastly faster than that and almost every problem that I'm presented with hey I'm having this problem I'm not taking home enough money I can't afford to hire this person I can't afford to buy this truck I'm in debt I don't know how to get out of debt but I need new equipment all those problems are solved by growth and so the number one thing to focus on in your business is sales and marketing. 
We're back to our logo letterhead question. Get a website, get a logo, all the money goes into sales and marketing. You don't buy, I know you agree, we've talked about this. You don't buy a, don't buy a truck till you need it. Don't buy a piece of equipment till the last minute you need it. That like, all that matters is growth. Growth fixes profitable growth, as in price correctly, fixes the majority of all problems I see in small companies. The, the scary thing is they could grow, but they're scared to grow. Do we, do we buy all the equipment first? Or do we market first? Or do we hire the employees? No, we're going to market. We're going to brand. A lot of the stuff with the technology, just the Facebook Live right here, this is a free medium that you could be using in your business to provide free, valuable content so your consumer is going to know, like, and trust you. And get those door hangers up. Heaven forbid if we actually pick up a phone call. Phones still work. Uh, people answer the phone and, and, and say yes or no to buy services. I think it's just the failure to actually get out there and do it. But you can, I mean, people look at me like I'm crazy when we say we grew by 35 to 40% in a season. It's doable. We just have to put it to paper and execute a plan and just do it day in and day out and hold ourselves accountable. Um, but no, don't go buy the equipment. Don't buy the trucks. Just go out there and market and sell and have a system in place that's replicatable where you know eventually when you track this stuff, if it's coming from Facebook, if it's coming from Google AdWords, um, if we know how many people are calling and how many people are buying, and then we can back out a cost, now business has become fun. I can tell you our new acquired cost for like one like Facebook would be $58 per new customer. So if I want to add 150 or 200 customers, I just do the math saying, okay, 110 is 58. I drop that in the market. Statistically, I'm going to grow that much this year. It's, everybody thinks it's, it's, it's this hidden mystery. It's not. It's put it out there, track it, and it's replicatable. I mean, business is fun when you know the return on your investment and what you're getting. So my advice, just like John was, get the, get the logo, but go out and market, 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 and track it to see if it happens. You can go out, if you put your mind to it, and grow by 25 to 30% every year. Yeah, I, I hear it all the time. This stuff doesn't work. Um, I've tried these things. They didn't work. Door hangers don't work. Um, Facebook doesn't work. Google pay-per-click's too expensive. I can just go down the list. Or I'm selling all the time. I'm marketing all the time. But man, my business isn't growing. Usually not the case. I mean, a great example if you're if you're saying, hey, I'm not growing. Start writing down everything you do every day, and 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 look at what percentage of every day is a sales and marketing activity. For the majority of people, a very small portion of their day is sales and marketing. They do a couple sales and marketing things. But they're very, very small portion of their day sales marketing. Their day spent thinking about um, billing and accounting and, and doing work and shuffling papers and all the other things that we sort of invent to put off the things that we're scared to do or don't really know how to do. When we don't know how to market or we don't know how to write a door hanger, we don't know how to write a letter, we find ways. We all do this. I'm talking to myself here. We all create other things to do inside our businesses and we delay the things we should be doing. And it's just basically at the end of the day, it's a, it's a form of fear. And that fear, man, is best itself as procrastination. So the majority of your time has to go to sales and marketing activities if you ever want to turn your company into anything interesting. No, we're not here on a pedestal preaching at you. Because we've made the mistakes. So this is us being very candid. These are the mistakes. Um, fear of success, like not going out to market. It's that almost, was me. It's almost um, embarrassing. I, okay, so it is. I, I, uh, I, sold, I bought that that. We bought that company and it's doing fifty thousand a year in revenue, and uh, it was out in this warehouse. Just it's just like imagine warehouses with these crummy lawns. They don't irrigate them. They don't do fertilization weed control. You just plow them down every week or two and do. It's basically you take a riding lawnmower out there and a weed eater. That's all you need in a blow. All right, and so I'm I'm gonna first get more warehouses property. And I remember driving out there in my truck 
I go, there's tons of warehouses. I'm going to go walk in the door. And I'd like, I'd pull up and it's embarrassing to even say this. And I'd sit in my truck and I'd be like, man, we really need some more chemicals. Maybe I should be going to Lesco because might they run out of chemicals tomorrow? Like, I, I, oh, I need to call this customer back. I, you're, I'm sitting in my truck and all I need to do is get out of my truck and start walking into doors. And I'm imagining every scenario. I'm almost hoping, God, I hope one of the guys calls so I can help them. I mean, you're not really thinking that, but that's what you're doing and procrastinating. I remember going out there a couple of times, like talking to a couple people and like, okay, that's good enough for today. And then I go do some other thing. And I, and many times I went out there trying to knock on doors and I didn't just go start at eight o'clock in the morning and knock on doors till six o'clock at night. I did like a couple. And finally I got my act together and I got serious. And when I got serious, that's when we got a bunch of accounts. My point here is it's scary. Like there is no scenario here where like we were just, well, you knew exactly what to do know, and nailed it yeah, and had full confidence. thought on it is, but the other thing is once you, you pull the trigger to do it, don't think just because you've done it for a half hour or an hour and you do one or two Facebook ads or you drop two or three door hangers, they're not all going to be successful like that day or the next week. It's a cumulative effect. So you got to just try stuff and do lots of stuff. you got to keep showing up, as they say. You be persistent. You, yeah. you, nine out of the ten things you do may not be as successful as the one, but when you find that one, replicate it and just hammer on it and it's going to grow but expect some failures along the way but you don't know what works until you try it so um I, don't, I don't, don't be discouraged that it's not going to be an overnight success it may be a couple of weeks maybe a few months you actually see the net result of this everybody's running around scared of something frustrated about something worried about something but when you ask them hey how's it going it's going awesome business is great or you know and they don't you know that's what everybody says oh it's fantastic i mean not really everybody but a lot of people but everybody's worried about something. Everybody's scared about something. So whatever you're scared to do, whatever you don't know how to do, whatever you're worried about, there's a, everybody else is in the exact same boat. The difference is the people that go big are the guys that, and gals that said, screw it. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to invest in looking foolish for a little bit. And I'm going to learn how to do this thing. And in the long run, they're the winners. But it is very seldom that somebody comes along and knows how to do this stuff. The guys that you usually hear about that start a company, and I have guys and gals, that start a company and like they go from zero to a bazillion dollars um, outside of the few tech stories, the people that do that, it's like their third business and or fourth business. Like you just have to get in the game and learn this stuff. Once you've done it once, it's a lot easier But to hit it for the first time and try to figure it out. Um, and don't be scared to, to put videos out like this and do these things. I know there's a lot of guys in my, my market that laugh at me and they're like, well, why is this guy putting videos out? What's he want to see himself on YouTube or Facebook? Um, no, that's it's a planned attack that two or three times a week we're making these videos and explaining to our consumers how to do these services. We're becoming a topic expert. Um, and by building that credibility and they know, like, and trust you, um, our success in our company um, it wasn't a mistake. It was the fact that we've been putting the work in for the last 18 to 24 months building these videos and these templates and everything else. Um, and it's a cumulative effect. And they keep building on top of each other. Um, and then Jonathan with his lawn care company, I think they're up to what, about 5,600 uh, customers a week. Uh, like 8,500. 8,500 customers a week now. That wasn't by chance. He was looking for the next thing that was going to shift in technology, how to get ahead of it, and building credibility, putting these marketing things out. Um, you know, I wish we could share some of the marketing content, just pure genius what he's done. Um, but he was different. It wasn't your normal cookie cutter flyer door hanger saying we mow, we cut, we blow, we clean our weekly housing. That's how I started though. It didn't work. Um, as as, <laughs> That's it, important it, to know. It's something I did <laughs> candidly I didn't learn from Jonathan. Um, and I'm not, you know, thank you for showing me that way, but 
when you start thinking differently than everybody else and you look completely polar opposite in your competition, that's when that marketing really starts to work. Um, so if you're doing the same thing as everybody else, don't expect these miraculous results. But if we're looking at these successful guys and girls that are going out in home cleaning or the lawn mowing or snow removal, um, they're doing something drastically different than 99% of the other people in the market. That's when business gets interesting and marketing is fun. And when you track it, there's a traffic difference. Yeah. We got a bunch of questions. We better. All right. Let's yeah, get on. So, by the way, some of you guys that posted under my YouTube video, um, I'll answer these as long term later videos if I don't get to your question. Yeah. In addition, people on the Simple Growth page, too, uh, we got a whole bunch that we didn't get to. Um, throughout the next couple of weeks, we'll be um, either together or separately answering a lot of these questions because uh, we appreciate your time putting them out there. Yeah. All right. So, I will uh, I'll just start at the top here. Any new plans, rollouts for automation? Oh, this is a service autopilot question. Are most of the bugs worked out now? What to start using next season? Uh, yeah, an update. Most people don't know what you're talking about because we've been private about automations. Um, real fast automations is the autopilot and service autopilot. And uh, finally, uh, it was the vision going all the way back to when we started this company. And so automations is a way to automate a very significant number of the activities that happen inside your business using technology. Um, the answer is that and Mike is a power user. We have hundreds of companies using automations in beta. Uh, Mike's the, like the preeminent guy when it comes to building automations. In fact, that's why he's in town right now. We have run through these bugs. Uh, we felt the pleasure and pain of all of them. I yeah. can confidently say 98 to 98% of them are gone. Uh, the system's working almost flawlessly. Uh, we obviously still going to be some learning curve for new software. Mm -hmm. uh, got to give some credit to the SA team. Uh, not only John and Jonathan uh, own the company, but Man, the development team down the hall and support team have just absolutely crushed it. So, um, not a sales pitch here, but if you're looking for a CRM that has automations for uh, sales and marketing, employee recruiting, training, and onboarding, uh, it's just some really big things that are coming down the pipeline that I've seen here. Just really, really impressive. This is going to be um, in the forefront of the rest of the marketplace. Just amazing. But to your answer, yes, the bugs are out. Uh, coming out of beta soon, uh, if I can speak for SA. Um, mm -hmm. So definitely get your ducks in a row, do your homework, make sure your system and processes are mapped out. Um, you're going to be really impressed with what they built in the system. Cool. Um, whoever asked that question, thanks for that little, giving yourself a for a little plug there. Um, next question, Mike, what percentage of snow represents your business overall revenue? What is your ideal comfortable percentage, being that snow is uncertain? Oh, that's a percentage of revenue. Well, yeah, we're about 35 to 40% on average of our snow removal um, as, a, as a total of the sales. Um, not going to get into the nuts and bolts of it, but I would I would recommend uh, find a mix to, uh, there's a long-term millionaire video. It's about taking the risk out of your snow season and talk about actual percentages, look it up. Uh, but we just basically we have a model that takes out the risk of snow where we have a percentage of residential contracts that are paid up front, no matter if it snows once or 100 times. We have a commercial that are prepaid with a retainer, your 17 or 25 trips paid thereafter. So as we start losing money on the residential, the commercial starts being profitable and vice versa. So we're not making a ton of money either way, um, but it's very predictable. I think our net profit margins in the winter the last couple of years have been within 5% of each other. Um, so we've taken the risk out of snow, but we need to make sure we're covering a fixed variable cost. And similar to the story, uh, the question was, we need to keep our key employees employed year-round. Um, and if they're on salary, we can figure that in. Uh, but check out the long term millionaire video, it's about offsetting the risk of the winter season. Alrighty, next one. Hey, fellas, so many questions I need to ask, but for now, growth! Exclamation mark. We are starting a third truck and we need to get in sync. 
seems that processes and people are the common problem, stress is building. Okay, so I'm telling you what the number one problem with every single company in the entire industry is, it's people. It's the number one problem. And uh, you'll never solve it completely. You can improve it, you can, uh, you, know, you just gotta keep pounding on it, pounding on it, working on it. But it, nobody's ever gonna say, I, the only people that say I don't have a people problem are the people that have, don't have much of a company just yet. People is, they're gonna continue to be the problem. And so uh, the, the key on this stuff is you just got to keep working on recruiting. You got to get really creative on recruiting. You've got to think about recruiting in the same way you think about marketing. For the company that finally puts a lot of effort into sales and marketing, um, and is truly really working on that area, you've got to take those exact same principles, your sales and marketing principles, and you've got to apply it to the recruiting problem. Recruiting, as soon as you figure out sales and marketing, recruiting will be your problem for the rest of your life inside your business. And the companies will get big, and the companies that are most successful, the companies will ultimately figure out recruiting. And the lessons you learn from marketing can be directly applied. Directly applied. I mean, you're really marketing why your company is different, why it's a good place to work, and what do you do that's different. You're, you're selling a culture and a place with a shared vision to make sure they align with it. Um, the cleaning industry, the whole uh, lawn care industry, a lot of times we find a lot of individuals that are looking for literally a carton of cigarettes and a bottle of booze. That's not the players I want in my company. I don't know about you. I want a rock star that aligns. They may not only they may only stay a year, they may stay three years, but while they're there, we want them to, to buy into what we're building. Um, and to, to combat that in our in our company, and I don't know how you guys do it with uh, your company, but we went we go out and interview two or three times a week, every Monday, Wednesday, and occasionally Friday. Um, I use the analogy of stacking the bench or like a sports team. We need an applicant pool sitting there so that So the guys and girls on the field know if they're not producing, they can be reproduced. And then if our marketing works like we're doing, there's not the fear of what if I dump all this marketing and I can't find an employee? Well, now we've got an applicant pool ready to go. We rank them in an A, B, and C fashion with or without a driver's license. So we can go into our CRM, uh, such as service autopilot and search, say, what are the all 80 candidates with a, with a driver's license we've interviewed in the last month? And then we'll just literally go down the list, top to bottom, and call them and say, hey, are you still available? You know, we can start stretch a Monday. Um, but we, and we've talked about this in, in the past, about acquiring a company that we grew, I think it was 18 to 20% literally in a week while I was out of town. You acquired it and grew it. Acquired it and grew it. And all, any, any normal situation, the business, the wheels would have fell off and would have fell apart. I was out of town and literally without, you know, a few hiccups. But I mean, it was, it was pretty seamless. We picked up a whole entire company's worth of work in less than a week. Uh, when the gentleman's uh, children fell ill and they moved away to get some medical treatment. Uh, so without building that bench and being proactive, and similar if you're a one-man show, uh, align with some other companies like we do in the winter when there's big storms so they can fill in to be your subcontractors. You train them to our system so they know what the quality expectations are if they ever have to jump in. Yeah. The uh, last part of that question, and we'll move on, is seems that processes and people are a common problem uh, I wanted to touch on the processes part. So I really believe in systems and procedures. Mike's really good at that stuff. I do think that a lot of, there's a number of companies out there that are really small that try to implement too many systems and procedures too early. Because as you scale, you're not saying you don't do some of that, but as your thing scales, at every new level, all your systems and procedures break. And you've got to go rework everything. So I think that too many systems and procedures too early in the business is a form of procrastination in that um, they're only gonna last so long. And that's a whole nother long topic. But I, the point I wanna make is, don't, 
sometimes it's also a mistake, a procedure or a process, the, the thinking that I need one is a mistake. Uh, what the real problem is that I've got a, a problem employee, like you alluded to problem employee. So you, if you have a problem employee or you have a challenging employee, a system will not necessarily fix that person. Like I'll hear an individual say, hey, I need an employee handbook. The employee handbook will fix no employee in the company. An employee handbook is nothing more than a legal tool to sort of cover yourself in the event that you get sued someday. You can say, yep, we covered this thing. Yep, I've got proof that we covered this and talked about it. But it doesn't fix anybody. Nobody reads, no, no flawed employee re reads the employee handbooks like, oh, crap, I didn't, I didn't realize I should be this new version of me. I'm going to suddenly transform my habits and I'm going to be this, you know, A player. doesn't happen. The, the, if they, they're still a crappy employee. In a, in a good system with a crappy employee, still a crappy employee. So my point here is just make sure that you don't have an employee problem when you're thinking you need systems. And that was, that, that was <coughs> honestly one of the issues, and I'll be honest with you, that it hit part of our growth at one point is I was so system and process oriented that I thought that we needed all of these things in place before we really started to ramp up. Um, so just get the basics down. And then once, <coughs> once you me. do scale up, then you really need to hold them in. But until you've got four or five crews running around, you're going to change year in and year out. So I think that's great advice not to, not to do that. So this next question is, I'm a one-man show with another full-time job. I'm looking to go full-time in March 2018. We had a question. We did. Oh, where is that sucker? Here it is. I'm wanting, so similar question. I'm wanting to transition from part-time lawn work to full-time. We are primarily a maintenance company offering mowing bed maintenance and now fertilization. We control, we control is a side business or as a side business has really taken off this year. Located in central Illinois, uh, would really, would it be possible to go full time in Illinois with the, with the off season or I guess in the off season? I wouldn't. So um, one thing I see, I guess I see so many things, guys get really excited. And every time I say guys, I'm talking guys and guys, so don't hold it against me. Um, I see these guys go uh, get really excited about the spring season. They have all this work coming in, all their marketing is just performing magically, and they think it's going to just be that awesome for the rest of the year. And a lot of them cut back their marketing, which is wrong and insane, in those months because they have so much work coming in. And then June, July hits, it's like, it's a drop. And so if you're having a good, if your part-time business does really well in spring and it's still holding up right now here in July, it's going to fall off a cliff for most of us at some point. If you're not in the snow plowing business, um, it's going to fall off the cliff when the snow comes. If you're in Texas like I am, you're going to have a few months where it kind of falls off a cliff if you don't have other services. Don't confuse the idea of uh, how your business is doing now with how it's going to be doing in the winter months. Also, it's very hard to sell service when you don't, when a client doesn't have need. but not nearly as much as I should try to take some of the mowing clients or fertilization weed control clients or, or, or clients that would normally sign up in March, April, and May with our company. I wanted to see if I could get them signed up in December or January and take some of that crazy volume that happens then and shift it earlier into the year. It's, it's very expensive marketing. And the reason it's, and it's very hard to make that work, and the reason for it is the person that you're marketing a thing to at that time of year has no pain. We buy, we solve problems, we improve our lives because of pain. And so if your client has no pain, it's very hard to get them to take action. So if you're going to try to grow this thing in the winter and quit your job, you're going to have a hard time selling and marketing services to a client that has no pain 
and there's just not a big pool of buyers. So my recommendation is get all your ducks in a row. Have everything ready going through the winter, into the early months of the year. Quit your job and go hardcore spring. Quit just before spring and then go hardcore, but have everything ready before that. Um, but I wouldn't quit today. Yeah, I completely agree. The seasonality of your market is very similar to mine. Uh, that spring rush is going to probably hit around March 15th, March 20th. As soon as the snow melts, you can see the grass. Um, when it ramps up the first time, the first weeds pop up, the grass needs to be cut. So uh, like Jonathan said before, if there's not a pain or immediate thing to market to to solve, uh, you're going to spend way too much money. We dropped almost $20,000 in advertising in July when the grass has turned out because we can go pick up all these clients. And it didn't matter how much money we spent, we just couldn't pick any clients because there wasn't a need. Grass had pretty much almost gone dormant. So you got to hit when, hit when it's hot and uh, get your ducks in a row, work your full-time job at night, get lined up, and then in March or April, don't quit your job before you have enough work to support yourself. Um, we see that with the equipment. Don't go out and buy the equipment until you have the work for it. There's no pride in it. You know, take a, there's no pride in it. Go out and buy a mower the week the week before you need it. That's fine. You don't need it three months. That's like actually that. super smart. If you look at what really really smart, very wealthy companies do, they don't just go blow money. They 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 spend money based on getting a return on that money, and they spend the money at the last minute. They're 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 managing their internal rate of return. I don't get to get off in the weeds, but that's how they think. There's enough. That's how you should think too, even though you're a small company. It, it, it may be scary, but it's it's a hell of a lot better to have to scramble to get a piece of equipment. That have a piece of equipment you can't use, and maybe you still have to work your full-time job, and you can't afford this piece of equipment you bought in anticipation of all this work you may or may not get. Yep, totally so. agree. Um, we'll have to wrap this up here in a few minutes. We're approaching an hour. Another question: I see so many guys running trucks without any signage. What makes someone stand out? I disagree. Oh well, I don't disagree with that. I disagree with the idea of not running signage on your trucks. It is so valuable and works so much. What are you pointing at? That's another question popped up. Let's okay. This one, obviously. Okay. Um, so I really recommend that you do paint your trucks, you do wrap your trucks, you do have signage on your trucks. And that's how you stand out. If you're not going to do that stuff, then the way you stand out is through online digital marketing. It's door hangers. It's print marketing. It's things of that sort. That could be multi-hour conversation in and of itself. But the point here is that if you don't have signage and you don't, you haven't painted your trucks, that's a mistake. You're leaving money on the table. You're leaving a big opportunity. Uh, you're missing out on a big opportunity. That's just to, to tag on to that. Uh, I would say 85 to 90 percent of the companies we see driving around don't have a name on their truck. They don't have the DOT numbers. In most states, you have to have to be legal. Um, that's another way to stand out and be different than your competitors. So I think that's just like your marketing and branding. You need to really do that type of thing. Um, and I guess real quick, um, you want to touch on that one real quick? Which one do you point out? Just it's kind of interesting. It's been, it's been all over the news lately. Uh, um, is the lawn care world ready for automated lawnmowers? Um, oh, oh yeah, this is an interesting topic. Yeah, I've got a lot to say on this. And if you come to our conference in November, Service Autopilot, shameless plug, yeah, we, we both I be will there. be happy to tell you what I think about this because I'm going to talk about it. And it's going to be the opening talk of the session. Is you have an unbelievable number of threats coming. And this is like a small one in my mind. Just an unbelievable number of threats coming in. Before you think, well, crap, maybe I shouldn't be in this business. You've got an unbelievable number of threats coming in every single industry. I really like the, the I, I, with my kids, I, I talk about this. If you are not a perpetual, I've heard this saying somewhere. You basically, from a learning standpoint, um, your, your uh, massive competitive advantage in the future is to outlearn everyone else. To be able to learn faster than other people, you will take that learning and apply it to your business, apply it to your life. Because we're all going to be perpetual newbies in the future. Everything is going to change. 
faster and faster and faster inside our businesses and inside our personal lives, your competitive advantage is that. And so, yeah, robots, that's one threat, but there are so many others coming. Um, there's so much money in the capital markets. There's, there's threats coming at you in that area, and they're coming at all of us. Don't let this discourage you. It's this massive opportunity. Um, Mike alluded earlier to this idea that, you know, one of Sigtor's competitive advantages was that, um, or my lawn care company, was that we capitalized on some changes in the marketplace to get our foot into a very, very uh, competitive market. And, and now we're a sizable operation. And we did it by capitalizing on opportunity. We started service autopilot, we uh, capitalized on opportunity, we capitalized on the shift from desktop software to cloud software. There's more changes coming like that that I'm gonna capitalize on. And there are massive growth opportunities for us to give us incredible competitive advantage. That's what you're looking for. So everything that's coming in the future, robotics and all these other things, they're your competitive advantages. If you know about them, and you're aware of them and you're ready for them, you can outplay all your competition. So yes, robotic mowers are coming. Uh, the real I'll give a much my opinion. Who knows if I'm 100% accurate? I'm sure I'm not. None of us are. But I think it's still early. You're seeing it pop up in other companies. Uh, other companies are doing it. Guys are starting to want to lease this equipment. They're wanting to test it. I think it's early. But it's great that the industry is spending money on it. It's great that there's companies spending money on it because it means they're going to work out the bugs. They're going to perfect it. Um, I just don't think it's something you have to worry about this moment, but it's coming. No, I completely agree. I'm excited. Uh, my lawn care business itself is something we're looking into. Um, real quick, that's Service Autopilot SA4. It's in uh, Dallas, Texas this year. Is there still some spots available? Or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So check it out on the, on the Service Autopilot website, um, Facebook page. Um, the other thing that I, I wanted to say is um, something that Wayne Gretzky, a hockey player, used to say is, uh, he, and I'm going to kind of kill the, the, the sentence a little bit that he says, but uh, he wants to be where the puck is going to be, not where the puck is. So if we're, if, we're, if we're looking at where everything is now with technology, not where it's going to be, similar like Gretzky trying to be proactive and project where it's going to be, Jonathan beat the technology shift with uh, Google AdWords and some other things that he did that allowed that company to scale. We now, as entrepreneurs and small business owners, have the opportunity to see that technology shift and project where it's gonna go, whether it's automated lawnmowers, whether it's uh, automation through your CRM, whatever that is, but there's so many new technology changes happening so fast that if, if we aren't proactive, there's these national brands um, that are gonna beat us to the punch, but if we can be proactive before that technology shift, we're gonna have a local presence with meaningful conversations with local people where we can compete without the bureaucracy and the red tape and have a competitive advantage against national companies. So I think it's just it's really important that, to look at these trends and where they're going, whether it's automated mowers, automations, or whatever else is coming down the line. Yeah. I'm sure there's something we don't know about that's going to be a big deal in another six to 12 months. Yeah, yeah the theme. So all phases. Uh, I was reading the name. Everyone knows that spring is high season for marketing. Do you see value in marketing heavily in the late summer months? The answer is generally no. Doesn't mean you don't market in late summer months. But again, think about pain. Think about what people need. So if you're going to market late summer months, what's the thing they want right now? What's the problem they need solved right now? If, if you've got something very obvious, like for example, late summer, everyone's having a problem with mice in their attic. Okay, then I would market very specifically heavily to, for pest control at that time of year, but it's getting towards the latter part of the mowing season. People aren't thinking about it, right? So I wouldn't, at that moment, they're not as worried about it or thinking, you know what, I hate the company I have, but I'll just get a new one next year. 
So there's still opportunity to acquire mowing clients, but there's not as great of an opportunity. So I, I would take that mowing spend and spend that spring and I'd match whatever I, I'd match my spend, my marketing spend to whatever thing the client has paying for right now. So generally late summer, I'd be somewhat conservative, but I would be doing marketing. 100% agree real quick. If you're not spending dollars, still spend the time on your free things like social media bars, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can still do branding and content that's going to drive the brand awareness and keep them engaged to when you go to spend that big money, they know you and it's, it's relevant, it's a personal conversation. So even if we're not spending dollars, hard dollars, let's not forget we need to have a continuous content stream as far as marketing and content throughout all 12 months. Even if you're in, in a snow belt area or uh, even you're in Dallas, Texas, when things slow down every other week trips, we still need to be in front of these consumers reminding them who we are and bring some value. Yep. Last question, I'm gonna answer this one real quick. Um, I'm 18, this is from YouTube. I'm 18, doing nine lawns only on my street. I plan on buying a truck next year to expand to close neighborhoods. I will also be attending a local community college that I will have to travel to every day, about 20 minutes. My question is, what truck should I go for? How many miles is too many for a used truck? I have a price range of 10 to 15,000 to spend on the truck. I'm gonna assume you're not like jumping into a, the construction business or something big. I personally just get an F-150. Yeah, makes sense. For 10 to $15,000, you can get an F-150 with great miles. Just be patient. Look at Car Guru, look at Craigslist, look at uh, eBay, look at all those cars.com, look at those sites. Just get a feel for what the pricing is, get the feel for what the pricing is with certain mileage. Um, I, you don't need a fancy truck. In fact, it'd be awesome if the truck had a dent or two in it. It'd be awesome if the truck was all scratched up and had good mileage because then you can paint it and you can, you can eventually turn it into a branded truck for your company. If it has a bed, like somebody hit it and the bed and the bumper are, are dented, awesome. That's the perfect truck. You can save some money because other people won't want to buy it. Just be patient. Start looking now. But with ten dollars to $15,000, you can find a truck with good miles on it. But first, acquaint yourself uh, with the market, understanding what these trucks are going for. Just don't go buy the first one. And then when you find, once you know the market, then start waiting for the deal and be patient. And then go buy, I'd say, an F-150. And I don't care to have the debate about... Ford versus Chevy. I've got we got like sixty or seventy Fords, and I used to drive a Chevy. So no one cares. What I don't care. No <laughs> one cares what brand equipment you're using. I don't care what kind of weed whacker, what kind of truck, as long as it's doing the job and it fits your budget. Yeah. That's what people care about. I so, want to make money. I don't care about trucks. We don't care what brand. <laughs> so all right, thanks for joining us. Uh, enjoyed it, and uh, if you like this, maybe we'll do this again. Yeah, awesome. All right, thanks, see you guys. Everybody. Have a good one. If you like this show, you might want to check out our resources at www.startsimplegrowth.com. While you're there, enter to win an Estimator chatbot. Mike Callahan is available for private coaching.